Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you. Glad to hear you singing. Glad to worship with you. Uh, we're off to a good start for the day. And I hope that uh, the rest of our service will be a blessing to you. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open uh, open to Isaiah 714. Uh, Matthew 123, you can open if you want to or not. They'll both be on the screen uh, in just a few minutes. But uh, that's, where we'll be, uh, that's where we'll be coming from this morning as, uh, as we move through our second series, or our second message in our, uh, in our Advent series. Cannot believe that it is December already. December, at least December 1st sort of felt like wintertime. Well, fall, anyway. After the, uh, the very warm fall that we had, at least December 1st was kind of like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm at least going to, at least I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play ball during, the, during the, the Christmas season. Anticipation is usually followed by surprise, right? You know, most jokes kind of follow that, that same structure. You know, somebody wants to tell you something, you know, and they, they kind of lead you into it. They begin telling you a joke, and you may not even know it's a joke at first, but as they tell the story, there's this, there's this build-up. And they're building the anticipation. They're driving towards something, and what they're driving toward is, is the punchline, you know, the, the, the payoff, the surprise. And, you know, we know that, that something is coming, but we don't know what, and then what's coming may not be what we expected. It might go in a way that we absolutely just did not see coming. I heard a story about a man one time who wanted to build a house. And it wasn't just any house. He wanted to build a house that was completely made of, of brick. So he went and he ordered the amount of brick he needed after he got the blueprints drawn up and all this stuff. And uh, began building this house, and he, he built this beautiful red brick house, and he stood back after he got it finished, and he's sort of standing at the road, and he's admiring his house and realizing, man, this is really, really beautiful. And he used all of the brick except for one. Now, this guy's a little bit OCD, and that's going to drive somebody crazy that has OCD. Can the OCD people say amen? Yes, it will. That's going to drive them crazy. So he thinks, well, I, I can't just have one brick, so he orders another batch of bricks. Okay. And so what he does is he starts at the house, and he lays brick by brick a walkway all the way out to the road, and he gets it completed. He's got his brick, mail, uh, he's got his brick um, walkway, and he's got his brick house. It looks absolutely beautiful, but he's got the same problem. He's still got one brick left over. So he orders more brick. And he goes to his mailbox and he bricks it over and it's just this nice, beautiful brick mailbox. And now he has this just beautiful red brick from the curb all the way to his house. But when he finishes, guess what? He's still got a brick left. And so he orders more. He ends up bricking his patio in the backside of the house. He's still got a brick left. Okay, and so he orders more and more brick, and he ends up bricking a nice uh, flower garden in the backyard. And he gets done, and he still has this brick left over, and he doesn't know what to do. So just in a moment of frustration, he throws the brick in the air. 
There was a man who was a connoisseur of fine cigars. Now then, by me telling you this story, I'm not saying for you to go and smoke cigars. It's just pertinent to the story. But he loved fine cigars, and he was a man of means, and he was willing to travel a long way, even to exotic lands, to smoke the world's finest cigar. And he had heard about this cigar that was off in, in one, of the, the, uh, one of the islands. And so he had joined a, a couple of other people on a, uh, on a small chartered flight, and they flew down there, and he bought this cigar, and he paid $2,000. For this cigar and he was looking forward to the return flight home where he was going to be able to smoke this cigar on this on this this plane and so he gets on there and and he's ready he's waiting for takeoff and then he's going to just he's going to he's going to he's going to clip the tip he's going to light it he's going to lean back in his plush leather chair and he's just going to enjoy this cigar on his way back home well, also on this small chartered flight was a woman who enjoyed exotic birds. And while she was on this trip, she had purchased a parrot. Okay, And so she had the parrot sitting in the cage next to her on the flight home. Well, they get you know, up to taxing level and they, the skies are clear. And it's just a, you know, you know, one of those really smooth flights where you, there's almost no bumps at all. There's no turbulence. And so he leans back in his chair and he lights up that cigar and he begins to puff away on it. And he is content as he can possibly be. But the parrot is not. And so the parrot begins to squawk because it's having an allergic reaction to this cigar. Well, this man who has just paid all of this money for this cigar, he's becoming increasingly agitated because he spent all this money on this flight He's gone all the way down there. He's paid $2,000 for this cigar. All he wants to do is be able to enjoy this cigar in peace. And he's got a bird over here just yapping its head off because it's allergic to the smoke. And she says, hey, he'll stop squawking if you'll put that cigar out. He says, lady, do you know about this cigar? Do you know where this came from? And he went and he, he told her all about it. So they have this argument back and forth. Put it out. No, I'm not going to put it out. And it just goes on and on and on. Finally, he gets frustrated. And he grabs the parrot, throws open the door, and throws it out the, uh, out the door and slams it back shut. She responds the same way. She grabs his cigar, opens the door, throws it out. They're screaming at each other. They look out the window and sitting on the wing of the plane holding on for dear life with its talons is that parrot. And guess what it had in its mouth? <laughs> the brick! <laughs> yeah, the brick. Some of you have to explain that to others later on. But I love that joke because it leads you somewhere that you think you're going. You think you understand the story. And then there's this twist that's just, just, just unexplainable. But there's the anticipation that comes with us. And, you know, there, there's something that is delightful about that, that formula. Children know this formula. You know, that's what they love about Christmas. That's what they love about opening their presents on Christmas morning. That's what they love as they sit and they look at those presents that they have to look at for weeks at a time that sit under the tree just, just tempting them. 
wanting them to open them, but they sit in the suspense builds only to have that tension released on, on Christmas morning when they get to tear into those presents and see what they are. You know, if adults, if as adults, if only we could reclaim some of that, that anticipation, if we could reclaim some of that surprise, the excitement, the enchantment, the wonder of a child's Christmas. I mean, do you remember what it was like when you're, the first time you were really aware of Christmas? Think back. Just close your eyes for a minute. And think back to that, that first Christmas that pops in your mind. And what was it like? Some of you are not closing your eyes. I can see you. You know that, right? Think about what that, you're still not doing it. Some of you, you know, what was that like as that Christmas morning as you went down there and you tore into those packages and you just had all of this excitement, all of this jubilation? Okay, those of you that have them closed, you can open now. The rest of you stay close for the rest of service. But what was that like? You know, as that, that, that moment building, you just tore into it and excitement increased and increased and increased. If adults, if we could reclaim that as we focus on this Christmas story, as we focus on the, the advent, the coming of Jesus. You see, admittedly, though, we know the story. And what happens a lot of times, you know, there are some that, that feel no anticipation. They feel no anticipation about the coming of Christ. There are some people that, that for them, Christmas is just another holiday. It's that time of year when we will fight our way through the stores when we'll overspend, when we'll unpack all of our ornaments, when we'll wrap presents, when we'll decorate the tree three times in our case because it kept falling over and we had to get a new one. We eat too much. You know, it's just all of these things. Advent, Advent is designed to help us do just that. It is designed to help us to reclaim some of that anticipation and reclaim some of that surprise. You know, as we said last week, that in your more liturgical churches, and that's churches that follow a prescribed form of worship, in your more liturgical worship uh, services, Advent began last week. It was the first Sunday of Advent, and it's the beginning of the liturgical year, and what follows the season of Advent is the season of Christmas. Advent is a season in the Christian year that lasts for about four weeks. It begins four Sundays out before Christmas, and it ends on Christmas Eve, and so there's a little bit of variation in its length. The Christian season of Christmas begins on, on Christmas Eve or, or on Christmas Day, and it ends around January 6th. But the purpose of Advent, this purpose of Advent is a preparation for Christmas. Preparation for thinking about the birth of Christ. And as we said last week, the Hebrews, they looked forward to the, the coming. They looked forward to the Messiah, the Savior, the first Advent. Christians prepare for celebrating the birth of Jesus by remembering this longing of the Jews for a Messiah. And so practically, Advent reminds us that not only do we think about the first coming of Jesus, but we are to think about the next coming of Jesus, the second Advent. Because as we have said, not just last Sunday, but over and over and over again, that every one of us is in need of a Savior. Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. We all 
need a Savior. And if that means we all need a Savior, and we know that He is going to come back one day, then we should probably live with a greater sense of anticipation of His return, should we not? And when we live with a greater sense of anticipation of the return of Jesus, that should naturally affect how we live our lives, should it not? It means that we will treat each other better. It means that we will love each other more. It means that we will go out of our way to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to those that need a touch of Christ in their life. That's what Advent should remind us of, that Jesus is coming. And until He comes, I'm going to live and I'm going to act in anticipation of this return. So this is what Advent does. It reminds us of the first coming of Christ at Bethlehem and it reminds us of the coming that is yet to happen and so in this moment I want us to just pause and and consider the 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 hope and the anticipation the surprise of that first advent as they awaited for Emmanuel as they waited for the Savior the Hebrews looked forward to the coming of Jesus and we do as well as we come to our our text this morning in Isaiah you have this story that takes place that that when you read it you think man that doesn't really have anything to do with Advent doesn't really sound like it has anything to do with Christmas at all but you have this story that takes place in the seventh chapter of a battle that is about to happen between the northern kingdom and the, the southern kingdom. And it's in this story where God instructs King Ahaz, who is the king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, where he tells Ahaz, ask the Lord for a sign, and Ahaz refuses. And then what happens is you have this prophecy that Isaiah lays out that talks about, that talks about Emmanuel. So just, I'll just start reading in verse 10, and it'll kind of walk us through that just a little bit. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Ask for a sign from the Lord your God, from the depths of Sheol to the heights of heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, listen, house of David. Is it not good enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. And so there it is. There's one of the early prophecies about Jesus about Emmanuel now then somebody asked me earlier and you may have noticed this as we move it along uh, have you ever noticed the spelling of Emmanuel have you ever noticed that sometimes it's spelled like that with an I and other times it's spelled with an E and you wonder what on earth is that about I don't have a clue I just thought I'd bring it up no as a matter of fact We've already seen it in a couple of the songs that we've sung this morning. There was one where Emmanuel was spelled with an E. There was another one that where it was, 
it was spelled with an I. And I think what it probably has to do with is, is the, the vowels that you find in the Hebrew and the Greek alphabet. Okay? The, the Hebrew word for Emmanuel is, is spelled with an I, and the Greek is with an E. And so that's why a lot of times if you're reading in the Old Testament, you see Emmanuel, you're going to see I. But you come along to the New Testament, and all of a sudden it's spelled differently. It's the same name but you have it coming from a different kind of translation. So there's, there's what that is. So that'll offer us a little, uh, little something new for, the, for this uh, Advent season. But you have Isaiah saying, are you going to test God? You've already tested men. You've frustrated them. God has told you to ask him for a sign, and yet you're refusing to do so. And he sounds a little bit pious in doing it. No, I don't want to test the Lord. But Isaiah is saying, look, God has asked you to do this. God has said, ask me for something, and then I will give it to you. But he doesn't do it. And so then Isaiah makes this prophecy. He says, okay, the Lord is going to give you a sign. He's going to give you a sign. There will be a virgin, and she will conceive, and she will have a son who will be named Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us you see to to say that that god is is with someone or to say that god is is with a people means that that god is guiding them that he is helping them to fulfill their calling when ahaz heard these words from isaiah you know they should have given him courage but instead he remains fearful but when god is saying this when he says there's going to be this virgin She's going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. God is saying, look, my promises are going to endure. There is going to be someone from the house and the line of David who is always going to be on the throne. And his name will be Emmanuel. And so that's where we hear about this name. Now then, we fast forward ahead into the New Testament. And what you have as the New Testament opens is you have four guys who undertook to write stories. And they write kind of differently, but some of the stuff is the same. And their job is to tell the, the, the story of Jesus, of His birth, of His life, of His death, of His resurrection. And some of them go into great detail about some things, and they might leave other things out. There are a couple of them that don't say a whole lot about the birth of Jesus. But you have two, Matthew and Luke, who went to great lengths to make sure that they preserved the, the birth narratives of Jesus. And as you come to, to Matthew chapter 1, you realize that this is what, what he is doing. And so Matthew begins his, his gospel, and he says, this is the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes and he lists all of these different names. All of these names, all of these people. Something like 42 generations of people that he lists, beginning all the way back with Abraham, whom God called out of this strange land to be the father of his people. 
And he lists all of these people all the way down, all the way down to the parents, the earthly parents of Jesus that we know of as Mary and Joseph. Now then, we know how this story goes. And we're going to spend the next two weeks really diving into those narratives. We're going to look at what it was like for not just Mary and Joseph, but for Elizabeth and Zechariah as well as they received these prophecies about these two babies that were going to come into the world. And then on Christmas night at at 6 p.m., we're going to have this dramatic reading of, of this story. But the way Matthew begins telling his story after this genealogy is he talks about the encounter that Joseph has with the angel Gabriel where he tells him, hey, look, yeah, Mary's pregnant. You're going to do the right thing. We know that. You're going to be honorable. You're not going to have her put to death. You're going to put her away quietly. But he says, hey, this is of God. This is of the Holy Spirit. Everything is fine. You need to go ahead and do this. And then you begin reading. You drop all the way down. Drop all the way down to verse 23. And it says, all of these things take place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And it says it right here. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so you have Matthew reiterating what Isaiah said all of those years earlier. Matthew takes this same prophecy, and he interprets it as the birth of Jesus. He has heard these prophecies. He's heard about this son. He's heard about the Messiah and the the Savior. And now Jesus has, has been born and He's lived His life and He's died on the cross and He's been resurrected and He's gone back to be with Jesus or back to be with the Lord in heaven. And so then He sits down after the life of Jesus and He begins to compose His Gospel. And as He is writing, He knows this is the Son of God because He was with Jesus and He saw do these great things he saw him perform these great signs and and wonders he heard him speak he saw him fulfill prophecy and so as he begins to pin his gospel and he talks about the encounter that gabriel has with the angel he adds in here this took place to fulfill what isaiah the prophet said all those years ago that there's going to be a virgin that she will conceive and that she will give birth to a son. And she'll name him Emmanuel. And that means God is God is with us. Now, Emmanuel here, when we read this in the New Testament, it's not meant so much to be understood as a, as a proper name as it is the, 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 the title, the description. That through Jesus, God is with us. And Matthew presents the virgin birth of Jesus as God's miraculous fulfillment of this promise in Jesus. Providing further proof that God is with His people. As a matter of fact, at the the end of, of His life, just before Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to heaven after the resurrection. He calls his disciples together and he gives him what we know of as the the Great Commission 
or what some might call the, the marching orders of the church. And he says to them, go into all the world. Go into the, all the world and preach in my name. Go make disciples. Baptize people in my name. And then he kind of closes that out by saying, and I will be with you always. Even to the very end of the age. Jesus himself, with his last words to the apostles that Matthew gives us, Jesus affirms exactly who he is, that he is the one who is always there, who always will be with them. You see, through Jesus, God is with his disciples in every age, empowering them in their calling. The Jews were anticipating the, the advent, the coming of Emmanuel. And when Matthew applies this prophecy to the birth of Jesus, what he is saying is that the one that you have been anticipating, the one that you have been waiting on, the one that you call Emmanuel, he is now here. Emmanuel is with us. And now we find ourselves in that, in that time where we're waiting on His return. We're waiting on that moment, and I don't know when it will be, and I don't know what's going to, to bring it about. But we're waiting on that moment when I imagine God is going to say, okay, go get them. Go bring my children home. And Jesus is going to come. And the trumpets will sound. And every knee will bow. And we'll confess that Jesus is Lord. And for those that have given their lives to Jesus, He'll take us home. He'll take us to, to be with God forever. But it's in that time between the, the first advent and the second advent where we live now that we have to live with this, this great sense of a return, this great sense that He is going to come back and so if I was going to make a point this morning it would be simply this that in Advent we not only live in anticipation of Jesus return we're also reminded that he is still with us now he has come once he's with us now and he's going to come physically once again to take us home from God to God. This is what the people were waiting for. This is what we find ourselves. The advent of Emmanuel, God of us, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is highly anticipated by the people of God.